Glory to you, O Lord. Our gospel this morning is from St. Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 15, and can be found on page 1625 in your pew Bible. Luke records, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in, and he asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And so he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Well, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. And then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so then when it is gone, you will be welcome into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with other people, someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
the, uh, the words that we just heard from Jesus can be really confusing. Churches all over the world use the revised common lectionary. That's what we use. And it lists out the gospel and the epistle letters that you heard today. And does it in a regular succession over three years you get through the entire Bible. So what that means is that a bunch of pastors looked at these words of Jesus in preparation for their proclamation. And your pastor, your pastor looked and he really considered preaching something entirely different, maybe from one of the epistles today, because it's just that challenging. The teaching of Jesus that we heard has always been a challenge to read, to teach in order to understand. So get ready. This may be a bumpy ride this morning. One of the problems in a passage like this, but it's throughout the Scripture, one of the problems that we have because we live in the 21st century Western culture is that we don't really understand what it was like to be a Jew in first century Israel. And in study of Scripture, one of the things you've heard me say is in order for us to understand, for it to make sense, we need to understand what it meant to them. And we have that going on today. Um, I was reminded this morning of back when I was a young man in high school, a little younger than David, the word bad came out and it meant good. And for us in Northern California, you go, oh man, that's bad. And they were like, I know, right? And I had a friend move back from England. His dad and his, had relocated there with his family for about four years. And he came back and had the English accent and everything. I go, oh man, that's bad. And it confused him. Even more recently, my wife Tracy and her sister and their, uh, our niece went to Cedar City, Utah for a uh, bridal shower. And in California, Southern California, we kind of talk funny uh, a little bit. And um, one of the things that slips out is, yeah, no. Right? Have you ever heard that? Yeah, no. And, and so these Utah, Utahns are looking, they go, well, what is it? Is it yeah or no? So we have that. And boy, uh, good luck historians in the future trying to decipher all of this. But here's what it was like back then. See, Jesus told of a manager who worked for a wealthy landowner, but Jesus did not tell the exact crime. He didn't list it. But this manager committed some kind of a firing offense. It was bad, and he was done, and we were witness to it. 
He could have been fraud, it could have been embezzlement, whatever. It doesn't matter. It was bad. Now, in order to ingratiate himself with the boss's business associates, this manager, he brought them, and in the translation I read, didn't emphasize it, but I need to emphasize this to you. He brought these business associates in one at a time. One-on-one meeting. And he had them reduce the terms significantly. They cut their bill in some, some points at 50%. And he did this after he was fired. He was already fired. And every transaction that he did was illegal. I mean, it was wrong. And it's just that his boss's business associates didn't know it yet. They didn't know he was fired, but they knew they were getting a deal. And then the strangest part of it is that the wealthy landowner commended this manager for his shrewdness. Yeah, no. See what I did there? Doesn't make any sense. What is up with that? Well, I'm going to tell you. In our culture, today, that landowner would quickly call the district attorney and he would file a complaint. And more than likely, that manager would find his uh, fanny in jail. And then all of the transactions, every single one, would be null and void For we know that fraud vitiates everything. And nothing that this manager did would work out. And the landowner would most certainly not commend him for anything if that happened today. Amen? Make sense? Now the key difference is the difference in our cultures. Because first century Israelites, well... It was an honor, and it was a shame culture. And honor was more valuable than wealth. That a person would rather suffer bankruptcy than endure any kind of shame. In fact, the community viewed the shame of dying on a cross as worse than the suffering and death of the cross. Imagine that. It just didn't look good, and that mattered more. Now, you could say, and you've heard this before, death before dishonor. That was literally how they lived. So how how does this apply to the parable today? Well, stay with me. In uh, Luke 16, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager And charges were brought to him, and that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and he said, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in your account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Now the rich man knew that the community had accurately reported the mismanagement of this manager. And the nature of the mismanagement is not important. 
All we really need to know is simply this, is that it was serious enough to have the manager fired. And the rich man fired the manager and told him to bring in his accounts so that he could assign them to a manager who would be honest with them. Bring in your books. You're out of here. And then we read further that, And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg, and I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So here, Jesus is informing us, the hearers, that this manager was no longer able to make a living in any other way. So he had to come up with a desperate scheme simply in order to survive. So the manager did this, it's recorded. Summoning his managers or his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And that person said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now in each case, the value of the reduction People much brighter than me, but it's been recorded here uh, in commentaries. But in each case, the value of the reduction was about 500 days wages. 500 days wages. That's a lot. Now, there's a couple of things that we should note about these transactions. First of all, they are entirely illegal. We, we agree on that. But the But the debtors, they didn't know it yet. And that is the reason that the manager called them one by one. Because if he had a group of them all together, they might think that something was up. And so he sat down, each one of them, one by one. And then second, the debtors were not suspicious. Imagine that. I mean, wouldn't you uh, kind of think about, well, this sounds too good to be true? We have that in our vernacular. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, right? But this indicates, they weren't suspicious. It indicates that this sort of bill reduction was something that the wealthy landowner might have done every once in a while. And then third, although Jesus told about the two debtors, the implication is that there were probably others, that these two were merely examples of what the manager did. Now, outside of all of this transactions going on, the community began to believe that these reductions came straight from the wealthy landowner himself. And they would begin to praise the wealthy landowner's generosity. What a guy. Did you hear what he's doing? In modern terms, his poll numbers were going up. 
and his popularity and therefore his honor, his honor was increasing in the eyes of the community. And pretty soon the whole village was singing his praises. So the manager had the landowner in a bind. If the landowner rolled back the deals that the manager had made, his popularity and his honor would crash and burn. And the landowner would rather take the financial hit than lose all that honor. And further, the landowner told that if the landowner told anyone about how this manager had outsmarted him, he would also look foolish and he'd lose honor. And when the manager went looking for work elsewhere in the area, no one, no one would learn about his mismanagement from the landowner. And so then we read further in Luke 16.8. He records, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now, in the end, this manager is still a crook, but he was a smart crook. And the landowner did not praise him for his integrity. The landowner still knew that he was a crook, but instead the landowner acknowledged his skill as a con artist. He had no choice but to admit that the dishonest manager knew him well. And he knew that the landowner valued his reputation as a generous and merciful Lord above all of his wealth. And the point that Jesus made is not, it is not about the criminal scheme of the manager. Instead, it's about the character of the landowner. The landowner is honorable very generous and merciful. So much that the manager could and did stake his life on that mercy. Now, if this unrighteous manager can rely on the generosity and the mercy of the wealthy landowner, how much more can we rely on the generosity and the mercy of God the Father. The unrighteous manager knew that he did not have the ability to save himself. Instead, he had to rely on the character of the wealthy landowner. And the unrighteous manager gambled his entire future, his well-being, on the character of the landowner. And so too, we also can rely on the honor and the generosity and the mercy of our God.
And we can readily see the mercy and the generosity of God in that the Son of God came to this world to take our place under the law. For we know this. We know that Jesus lived a perfect life of utmost honor. He did absolutely nothing to bring shame on himself or shame on his Father in heaven. And even so, this Jesus, he surrendered his honor, gave it up in exchange for the shame of a death on a cross. And in the most unfair transaction of all time, of all time, the Son of God took all of our shame onto himself and he gave his honor to us. But he didn't remain in the shame of the crucifixion. Paul writes in Romans 1, but he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And in a letter to the church of Philippi, Paul writes, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is risen. He's risen from the shame of his death, and he has ascended into heaven where he now rules all things, in infinite honor. And he has promised all of those who believe in him that they shall be where he is. So in the parable that Jesus told, we read, we heard that the crooked manager said, take your bill and sit down and quickly write 50, or take your bill and quickly write down 80. But Jesus does not look at our debt of sin and say, take your bill and write down 80. He doesn't even say, take your bill and write down 50. He doesn't do that. We know this, that the moment before he died on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. In the original Greek, in the phrase, it is finished, it's the word or the root word, teleo. And this word has another meaning. And telestoi, if a merchant wrote telestai on a bill, it meant paid in full. And when we sit down with our merciful Lord and he looks at our debt of sin, your debt, my debt, and he says, I died for this. 
Go ahead and write, paid in full. In the name of Jesus, amen.